Verse number 1, James 3, verse 1 and 2. Again, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. There's, a, there's, there's such a, a stern warning to those who are, are wishing to speak God's Word. When you stand to teach, when uh, you stand to preach, when uh, you're asked to speak at a, a Bible study or a men's group or a ladies' group or, or anything in that matter, um, it's a serious matter to consider when you say you are speaking the words of life. I think it's even um, to the extent when we are talking to our neighbor about something, your neighbor approaches you and asks you a question about why you believe what you believe or maybe for whatever reason that he's speaking to you and you begin to share with him from the Word of God, you want to make sure you're sharing the truth accurately and faithfully. Somebody asked you, said, man, I think all good people go to heaven. You say, yeah, you're, you're probably right. That would not be faithfully speaking what the Scripture teaches. It's, um, it's become quite a, quite a fearful thing for me because I know what the Scripture says when it mentions that knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment... Now, if you go and do something sinful and on your own volition and your own will, you will be held accountable for that. And I won't. But if I tell you it's all right, I'm going to give an account for that. So every time I send to this pulpit or, or anywhere for that matter, speak the words of the Lord, I want to make sure it's right. I want to be as, uh, as accurate and as careful as I can. I want to be serious about it when I speak it. I don't want to do it for my own benefit. I don't wish to have power or influence or anything of that matter. I want to make sure that whatever I'm speaking and we all speak when it comes to that is that we speak accurately and we certainly speak the truth, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. And it wasn't just in the New Testament that we find this. James was addressing the issue in the synagogue at the time and others. Uh, any respectable Jewish person could stand and speak in the synagogue. And, uh, and, and for that matter, if, uh, if on my way to church uh, I became ill or something happened and it was 15 minutes before time and somebody in here that's uh, faithful and exhibited good character and quality of being a Christian, I could call and ask to speak, and they would do so. Uh, and I know they would faithfully. But it would still be a serious matter. The Old Testament speaks a lot about this. So turn with me with James 3, 1 in mind. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Jeremiah, chapter number 
23. And I want to read verses 1 through 16. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 16. Woe to the shepherds, and by the way, woe is a very, one of the strongest words you can use in Scripture about a warning. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and not attended to them. That's a very serious matter. Behold, listen to this, talking about judgment. I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. That's an account. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore... Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Now, here's the problem in Israel, and this is what Jeremiah, known as a weeping prophet, verse 9. My heart is broken in me, within me is broken, because of the prophets. All my bones shake, I am like a drunken man, and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. The words of God will have an effect on you when you read them. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their courses, life of, is evil, and their might is not right. Now here's, here's where we get into the reason. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Not outside, inside. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall in them. For I will bring disaster upon them. That's the wrath of God. Justified and righteous. The year of their punishment, says the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused, listen to this, and caused my people to err. I tremble at that thought. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery. The prophets in Jerusalem. Listen. 
They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Now, that ought to concern every one of us when we stand to speak the words of the Lord. They cause it. Fear ought to tremble with the fear of the Lord that we would speak truth and righteousness clearly. These were shepherds. These weren't People coming in and selling all kinds of gibberish and so forth and drawing people away. This wasn't outside of the house. This was inside of the house. Shepherds. People that were supposed to protect the flock. Supposed to warn the sheep. Supposed to yell for danger. When something was coming and warned them and gathered them and cared for them. And they were failing miserably at that. They had a duty to protect the flock. They had a duty to assure the people's welfare. And the word in verse 1, woe be to those. Those that are commanded to feed the people but instead scatter the flock and drive them away by violence and oppression. And they had not visited them, nor taken care of their welfare, nor concerned themselves at all to them that do good. They had no, they were false. They were failing. They didn't visit them. They didn't do the duty. They scattered them away. They became beasts of prey and shepherds are at fault. And the scripture says, I'll read it again. Verse number two. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. So now we know why James said, think twice before you speak. Be careful. Because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. Certainly those people that were sinning and going astray would be held to their own accountability. But here, the Lord God says, I'm going to attend to you because you're the one that has caused them to err by speaking things that aren't true by not attending and caring for their flock. Look at verse 21 and 22 of that very same chapter. Furthermore, he goes even to the prophets, not just the priests as well and the shepherds, but here's what he says in verses number 21 and 22. He says, I have, listen, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But here's the, the, the conjunction. But if they had stood in my counsel 
and caused my people to hear my words by speaking the truth, they would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil doings. You see, somebody's not going to have to change a heart if you aren't speaking the truth of God's word to them. You can tell them all day long that they can just turn over a new leaf. It'll never change their life. You can always dress up the outside. Jesus said that. He said that they are like whitened sepulchers. Beautiful. But he said they're full of dead men's bones. You know what, you know what weak gospel preaching does? Do you know what feel-good, cultural sensitive? I want to hear what's best for me preaching does. It doesn't change a single heart. It doesn't change a single life. It just makes them think they're going to heaven while the whole time they're going to hell in their own sin. And it's, it, 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 I tremble to think that if I get up here to try to appease you and what you want to hear, rather than what us says the Lord. He said, if I had sent them, they would have repented. But you know what? I didn't send them. They were just talking junk. Turn with me to Deuteronomy for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. There was a, a fairly high standard for prophets in the Old Testament. If that same standard were applied today, we might see... <laughs> It might be a little different. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 13. If there arises among you, verse 1, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet... Or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. <laughs> because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord God commanded you to walk. So shall you put away the evil from your midst. You better be, if you were a prophet in the Old Testament, you better make sure you were right. You shall be put to death. Imagine today, if that standard were held 
would have a lot less charlatans in the pulpit. We'd have a lot less junk coming from churches and ministries. We'd have people that would stand humbly and fearfully before the Lord, before people, and speak the words of the Lord, regardless of how they wanted to feel of what you had to say or not. Put to death. No judge, no jury, no, no a, a trial, no retries. Death. Done. If they come and said, now the key was that they come to lead you astray. And back in verse 22 of Jeremiah, that it really implies that they had spoken the words of God, then they would have turned from their wicked ways, but they weren't speaking the words of the Lord. Sunday after Sunday, folks pile into the church to hear how to get wealthy, how to live their best life now, claim not to be sick or to suffer, and to hear pastors entertain them with concert-like polytechnics and leave claiming that that was a great service yet they are starving and dying sheep. Imagine if um, that was our doctrine here, that if you're sick or you're suffering, then you're not living in the will of God. Imagine that. You would have looked at me and four years ago and said, well, what are you doing wrong? We'd ask Lebo, Lebo, what are you doing in your life that's not right? That's not Bible doctrine. That's not, that's not the Word of God. And yet Sunday after Sunday, we have men that are, that are uttering these things out and not a fear of anything upon them, and they're uttering them out. But what's even more alarming is that they are teaching this and assuming that people are following it and believing such things. I, uh, I'm going to try to think the best way to say this, but just because it has Christian over the door doesn't mean it is. It's always evidenced by behavior. It's always evidenced by fruit. And you say, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. Well, you want some New Testament examples? I'm glad you asked. Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse number 15. You want more than one example? Good. Thank you for asking in the back. I'll, uh, I've got more. Matthew seven fifteen. This is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, beware of false prophets. So that tells me that they're going to be abounding and around. Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Clearly identified as a false prophet? No. It says come to you in sheep's clothing. 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 24. Just a few pages to the right. Matthew 24. Verse number 11. Matthew 24, verse number 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Deceive many. False prophets rising up, deceiving many. Verse 24, same chapter. That shall be verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. It will be, it will be just incredible. It will look like they are from God. What about Second Peter chapter number uh, 2? Second Peter chapter number 2. Peter gets pretty descriptive with this. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. 2 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many, oh, this is, this is what's dangerous, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. So there is people following. Now, turn that me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter number 20. Here's what Paul was dealing with, and, and, and this is important, because I want you to see where this is, this is deriving from. Acts chapter number 20. Um, he is exhorting the Ephesian elders in verses 17 through verse 31. We won't read all of that, but here's what Paul said. Concerning that, he was preaching to them, he was encouraging them and exhorting them. And beginning in verse 23, listen, he says, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, according to prosperity gospel theology, that means that he wasn't living right. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, here's here's the important part. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, he was not preaching what he wanted. That see my face no more, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That is a shepherd's duty. To declare the whole counsel of God. Verse 28. Therefore. 
take heed to yourselves and do all, listen, he said, take heed to yourselves. In other words, take warning and do all the flock among you whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up. Listen, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember for three years and did not warn you every night and every day. The, the reality is, is that the most dangerous place for False teaching to arise is not on the outside, it's from the inside. And it's always a result of a shepherd laying down on the job. Always. Always. And no, you can't blame me for everything. But in spiritual matters, it would be on me. Paul said, I warn you, they're coming. And a shepherd protects the sheep. And he provides that. He warns. And it's not my words. It's the words of life. The word of God. Ezekiel. I know we're... Got more examples. Ezekiel chapter number 23. Another prophet. Another one that made profound prophecies against Israel. What I want you to see here is where it all begins. Where the downfall begins, it always begins with those who have the responsibility to shepherd and to lead. In Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 23 through 32. 23 through 32. Ezekiel 23. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. For they have devoured the people. They have taken treasure of precious things and they have made many widows in her midst. That's pretty alarming. But now here's, the, here's where the fault lies. Verse 26. Her priests... The people that were supposed to be shepherding. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy. Nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, to get dishonest gain. Her prophets 
plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, listen to this, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should destroy it. Listen, but I found none. Lord, have mercy. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. That's a trail of destruction. The priests, the prophets, and the princes, all of them, were corrupt. The very people that should be speaking the truth of God so that men and women follow God in righteousness and obedience. And, and because it's not anything I can do that could ever change a stone-cold heart and turn into a heart of flesh. It's only the words of the Lord that can do that. It's only the working of the Spirit of God in your life to take dead men's bones, raise them to life again. Not a thing man can say to do that. It is the power of the Word of God that does that and brings life. And if men fail to do that, this is what you get. Garbage. When people begin to stray away from the Word of the Lord in shepherding, you get a mess. I want to read to you something, if you'll just bear with me for a moment. This uh, from an article written a couple of, a few months back, talking about the state of Christianity or evangelical churches when pastors and leaders want to become savvy, cool. Here's the, here's the argument for that. And some of their arguments are in these following statements. We need to take the message out of the bottle. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I think what they're saying is we need to not be so critical of sin. That's out of First Opinions chapter 5, okay? The other statement we find in these is that we can't minister effectively if you don't speak the language of contemporary culture. So again, um, don't preach the Bible as is. You know, you have to, you have to dress it up a little bit. If we don't vernacularize the gospel, contextualize the church, and reimagine Christianity for each succeeding generation, 
How can we possibly reach young people? I'll tell you how you can reach them. Get up every Sunday, open up the Word of God, read the words of Scripture every week, and let the Lord do His work through the Spirit of God. That's how you do it. You don't, you don't change that. You don't change the message. It, it just makes me sick. I know it looks like y'all say, man, he's angry this morning. I'm not angry. I'm just telling you, it makes me sick to my stomach to see men stand in the pulpit and preach garbage knowing that those people think that that's the gospel truth, and it's not. Contextualizing it, making it acceptable. We don't want to tell people that, uh, you know, that sin is bad and that, that the life they're living is wrong, but the Word of God does. Here was, the, here was the distinction. Look back again. I want you to draw your attention to this in our text in Ezekiel. Look at verse 26. He says, about halfway through, nor have they made known the difference between unclean and clean. And I assure you that the Bible makes clear the difference between holy and unholy. It's not ambiguous in, in any way. Mainstream evangelical movement gave up the battle against worldliness about a half century ago and then completely capitulated to pragmatism, which pragmatism means whatever works, do it. Now, that's dangerous. I can draw a crowd in here today with all kinds of gimmicks. You understand that, right? Says most of the best known mega churches, no, not against mega churches, but it just kind of falls in that category. But most of the best known mega churches that rose to prominence after 1985 were built on a pragmatic philosophy of giving unchurched people whatever it takes to make them feel comfortable. What do you expect? <laughs> What, you ask somebody that's not a Christian, what would you like to see? What would you like to see, see us sing in church? They're not going to probably cite amazing grace or nothing but the blood. It'd probably be a U2 song or a Hank Williams Jr. song or something. You, what, what do you think that an unchurched, unsaved person is going to want to hear at a church? Well, I sure am wanting somebody to tell me how, how I'm going to hell and I'm not saved and how to live right with God. No, they're going to want to hear something that makes them feel comfortable in their sin so that they can go to hell thinking they're going to heaven. And you've got shepherds telling people this. Worldly preachers seem to go out of their way to put their carnal expertise on display, even in their sermons. In the name of connecting with the culture, they want their people to know that they have all seen the latest TV programs, familiarize themselves with themes of South Park. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what that is. I think it's a rather raunchy cartoon, if I'm not mistaken. Don't nobody admit to knowing exactly what it is either. 
They've learned the lyrics to countless tracks of gangster rap and heavy metal music, and they've watched who knows what on television. They seem to know every fad, top to bottom, back to front, inside and out. They've adopted both style and language of the world that translates into the pulpit. They use lavish use of language. They socially drink and fit in with every other uh, societal crowd, and they take that to the pulpit, and it just abhors me. Not just the fact they're doing it, but the fact that thousands of people are following it. And I'm labeled a fundamentalist and a legalist when I talk about holiness. And righteousness. If through the word of God that I do not stand here and make known to you the difference between holy and unholy, I'm going to be held to a mighty strict judgment and account. It's not okay to live like the world and act like the world and participate in everything that the world participates in and say that you're a Christian. There, there's, there's going to be differences in your, there's going to be fruit that, that identifies who you belong to. And in the pulpits today, you would know the difference between a pep rally style, pumped up, feel good, go live, you're great, all kinds of stuff, sermon. You'd, you'd walk into that church and you'd see, man, that's it. I feel great, man, I leave good. You know, I don't say this not because of me, but in prep, preparing for, for these messages, you know, I, I, it, it does a number on me. It works on me, it makes me think. And we all ought to leave here today, not because of what I said, but because of what the Word of God said. And all just did all to just convict us and say, you know, I need to I need to be more like Christ. Oh man! Look at verse twenty-eight, and I'll uh, I'll try to stop. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar seeing false visions visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord God has not spoken. I think that's one of the one of the most dangerous things I see happening today in modern evangelical circles is that people saying, I've got a personal divine revelation from God and I'm going to tell you what it is. I just be very practical about it. If you want to hear from the Lord, read His Word. Just open it up. And read His Word. Now, I understand the idea oftentimes we say, well, I felt the Lord moving to me to do this. Maybe you were at Walmart or somewhere like that. If you risk going to Walmart, any of you in here, uh, and you saw somebody that and the Lord prompted you to do something, say something, or help somebody. Not a divine revelation that He did that. You're just being obedient to what you know the Word of God said to do. 
The Lord says to share, and you're being prompted to do that. The Lord says to be compassionate, you're being prompted to do that. The Lord says for you to help and to minister and to show compassion, and you you know what you've read, and you recall that, and you're honoring God by doing that. He's not just singling you out to be some sort of divine prophetess or prophet. It's because you know what's in the Word of God. And there's a, here when we see this verse, it thus says the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken. That's dangerous. So what they were saying was, wasn't even from God. So I go back to James and I think of that so much. And it affects me. It, it affects me in ways that are, man, that I battle with. I'll just be frank with you. You know, you know sometimes I think, man, you know, I sure want everybody to like my preaching. And, then, and I'm tempted sometimes to say things to do that. But I can't. And I, I just, I know that that there is an enemy, and I know that Satan is, and he's dressing up. And the dangerous thing is, is that he's dressing up, as Jesus said, that he is dressing up just like a sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And you know them by their fruits. You know a pastor, a leader, a teacher by what he preaches. If a pastor gets up to the pulpit and he never opens his Bible but just for a pretext and then goes off on all kinds of tangents and things that are not even biblical, then you know. You know. It's identifiable. But the Lord speaks through His Word. The Lord speaks through His Word. Read His Word. Read it. Invest yourself in it. Read the first seven chapters of John this week 15 times. You'll be amazed as you're going through the day that you'll recall what the words of the Lord working out in the yard or doing something. The words of the Lord come to you. Read His Word. Well, I'm done. I don't have a good closing. I'm just finished. Let's pray together. Let's y'all stand with me. We're going to sing song this morning.